Well, welcome. My name is Fred Tomlinson, and a pleasure to be able to talk to you this morning. Would you like to turn in your Bible, if you're with me, to the book of Matthew, the Gospel according to Matthew? And uh, we'll look down at a few verses uh, here uh, in just a moment. Perhaps before we actually do that, um, I'd like to say we've been listening to Bob singing about grace. The, uh, the, the gospel, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel w without the doctrine of grace uh, provided by God, of course, but coming through the ministry of the Apostle uh, Paul, um, would be, it would just be, a, I don't know, a calamitous lack um, because the, the understanding that God gave to that precious man and uh, the ability for him under the inspiration of the Spirit of God to present it as we are very familiar, it, 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 it's everything because he opens up the, the, the innards, as it were, of the great gospel of God, which is what he calls it himself on one occasion. Um, but clearly the concept of grace, that is the grace of God, uh, was a very central feature of the uh, understanding and uh, the teaching of the Apostle. Um, it's quite interesting, he, he wrote uh, 13 epistles, if we include Hebrews then it would be 14, but there's a little bit of uncertainty about that in the minds of some anyway. But within the context of the 13 epistles, uh, he uses the word grace no less than 85 times. That gives us some idea of the, the place of prominence that that concept uh, occupied in his life, in his mind, and certainly in his ministry. <clears throat> when we first uh, meet the Apostle Paul in Scripture, uh, he was not the Apostle Paul, as virtually everyone listening to me will know. Uh, but we're introduced to uh, him by the name Saul, Saul of Tarsus. And uh, he was a, a Roman citizen. Uh, he was uh, born into a Jewish family lived obviously in the city of Tarsus, which was uh, uh, the capital of a Roman province, uh, the province of Cilicia. And the scriptures take, teach us that uh, he was very highly privileged uh, within the context of, of his Jewishness um, to be able to sit under the, the Jewish rabbi Gamaliel uh, who was, so far as we can understand, the leader of the Jewish Sanhedrin. And so he was a tremendously blessed individual uh, in Jewish understanding and experience. Um, but as we proceed with the information that the scriptures provide concerning him, uh, we quickly realise that uh, when he emerged from the, uh, the tutelage that he received under Gamaliel, uh, he, he was not some sort of super mild uh, Bible school student 
he was anything but that, uh, as we we discover as we read scripture, and we'll be about to discover as we think about this for a little bit here this this in this session. Fact of the matter is that Saul was uh, an incredibly proud Pharisee, and he was fiercely uh, defensive of the Pharisaical tradition under which he had been trained. And uh, what we know about the, the, the Pharisaical tradition is uh, that those included in it were certain, at this time period, uh, were certainly no fans of Jesus. And with that in mind, let's just look down for a few verses into Matthew's Gospel, chapter 23. And uh, I'll read um, from verse 23, chapter 23, verse 23, and uh, it's Jesus speaking. He says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay a tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy and faith. These ought you to have done and not to leave the other undone. You, bind, you blind guides which strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you make clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but within they are full of exhaustion uh, and, and excess. Uh, thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful uh, outward, um, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so you also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within you're full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and garnish the sepulchres of the righteous, and say, If we had been in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Wherefore you be witnesses unto yourselves that you are the children of them which kill the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you generation of vipers. How can you escape the damnation of hell? Incredibly strong, strong words as you, as you can see from that reading. And... What we know from the record of the Gospel writers is that these uh, hypocrites, of course, understandably were profoundly offended by Jesus and what he was saying. And uh, they tried to have him arrested. Uh, fact is, they wanted him killed. And uh, on one occasion that is recorded, they were absolutely on the verge of stoning him. But he walked away from the scene. Um, so it's, it's, it's no surprise to us as we go on through the scriptures uh, that um, Saul uh, had this, this, this violent hatred for Jesus 
uh, and his followers. Uh, an interesting thing is there's no record that, uh, that Saul was given a commission to go after them. Uh, it seems more that he launched, um, he launched his own career uh, with this uh, fierce antichrist uh, activist uh, attitude and he, he is able to obtain letters from chief priests uh, to round these believers in Jesus up. Uh, I'm looking over now into the book of Acts, if you would like to turn there with me. I'm going to chapter 8. Um, in, in Acts chapter 8, <clears throat> I, I read this. And Saul was consenting unto his death, that Stephen's death. And at that time there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles. And so there's this, uh, this, this, this havoc which is being brought against uh, the, the people of God. Um, another verse of scripture that we could look at is in chapter 9. Uh, and the first verse reads like this, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus and to the synagogues, uh, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And... Uh, there's, a, there's an interesting word wrapped into that section of scripture where it speaks about, about him dragging these people, uh, which is a word I understand is only used on one other occasion in the Old Testament. John Harrison will check up on this, I'm sure. Uh, in Psalm 80, in verse uh, 13, I believe, um, where it's a reference to wild beasts who are devastating a vineyard. Um, I think I'm mentioning that because I think it, 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 it helps us to understand more vividly this vehement hatred toward, toward the Lord Jesus, uh, toward his followers and the whole thing that was taking place at that time. These people who were of the way, as they're referred to here. And uh, the idea here in, in this opening part of uh, Acts chapter 9 Verse 1, Saul is, is breathing out the, the, these, threatens, these threatenings and slaughter. is breathing out like a wild beast, snorting and raging. Uh, and this is his attitude. This man, do you remember I said just a few moments ago, he wasn't some plain, genteel uh, per, young fellow who's just graduated from Bible school. I'm not saying everyone who does are, are necessarily, but he certainly was not that. Uh, this, the, the, there was not a, a, a benign bone in his body. This man is a terrorist uh, and he, 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 he's, he, he's filled with passion and his passion was leveled against the things of Jesus, the things of Christ the things of the church of Jesus Christ. There was hatred in his heart. And uh, as a matter of fact, I can read his own words by just turning on to the 28th chapter of the book of Acts. 
and I'll do that if you want to, you may as well. Uh, but in chapter 28, he's giving his testimony on this occasion. And uh, uh, 26, I beg your pardon, not 28. And uh, in the ninth verse, I read this as um, Paul, is Paul at this stage in time as he is speaking to King Agrippa. Uh, he says, I verily thought myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, which thing I, I also did in Jerusalem. And many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. And I punished them oft in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even into strange cities, where upon, as I went to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priest now, you see, he has to go to these other areas. Uh, and, and the scripture goes on. I'll pause right there for now. But I hope that I'm able to communicate to you what the scripture itself uh, testifies concerning this man Saul. Uh, as we see from his, from his very own words here, as part of his testimony before the king at that time, uh, he, he, he's boldly saying that at that time he brought havoc to the church in Jerusalem. And then having had in his mind success to some degree there, he broadens his, uh, his attack and uh, he, he gets this papers of authority and he's off to Damascus. And uh, do you get the picture here? Uh, now, on, on, as we catch him now here, uh, on his way to Damascus, this is a journey of, um, I'm told, about 150 miles. I've never been there myself, uh, which you would understand would take uh, in the regions of maybe a week to walk. Uh, these... these um, these keen uh, pharisaical individuals, uh, or Pharisees, I should really call them, uh, they wouldn't commonly travel on horses, so they were walking this distance. And, uh, you know, as I think, I try to imagine this man Saul at this time, now with this mission that he's engaged in, with the track record that he's now established for himself, the reputation uh, that is established, uh, the damage that he's been causing, and it's in his heart to cause a lot more damage uh, as he moves now to, to Damascus. And uh, as we've noted already, because of the, 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 the teaching which he would have received, the, the context of his family uh, as being Pharisees and the, the, the way their hatred for Jesus has been stirred up, uh, toward him and then thus to the movement we can we can kind of understand why it might be in Saul's heart but as I read the the text I, I, I'm convinced that there's more to it even than that um, this 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 rejection of Jesus yes pharisaical but he's driven by something he's driven by something 
we, we could say, if we wanted to digress in a slightly different position, we, we say, well, it's plainly demonic what is going on, and we, I would heartily agree with that. But I'm, I'm just looking into Saul's heart and mind as well as I can, as him as an individual. Uh, this, this vehement hatred and rejection of Jesus and his followers uh, suggests to me that there was more going on within him. Um, we're led to believe that Saul would have been more or less about the same age as was Jesus. And uh, uh, we know that Jesus frequented Jerusalem at the various feast times. And there's absolutely every reason to believe that Saul would have been there for those Jewish feasts. Um, now, now, I have no, no biblical text for this. Uh, but but in, in my understanding, in my mind, uh, I, I can see that there's a strong possibility that Saul of Tarsus had actually seen Jesus. What I'm even more confident about is the fact that he had definitely heard about Jesus, otherwise he wouldn't be doing what he's doing at this point in time. He would have heard about this man more or less his own age uh, who was who had this powerful follow ministry and following and uh, he performed miracles he, he would have heard this uh, he would have heard about the things that he was teaching and again as I've said already the, the kind of following that he was gaining from the Jewish people at that point in time and and once again, in my mind, I, th I think it is likely, but I cannot prove it, uh, that he actually watched Jesus when he was teaching. Um, if, if that were true, then um, there's, a, there's a word that comes up. I need you to turn back to the ninth chapter uh, of the book of Acts. Um, and we'll look at it in this context a little more in just a moment. The word is goads. There's a reference to Paul. This is Jesus speaking, of course, on, on the occasion. Uh, and he said, Jesus said to Saul, it's hard for you to kick against the goads or the pricks, as they are in, called in the Old King James translation. Uh, in, in, in my understanding, Jesus is referring to the fact that there were factors that were working upon his mind and upon his emotions, upon his very conscience. He was a human being, after all. And he was seeing the havoc and the, 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 the pain that he was, he, he was bringing to so, so many people. Um, and uh, I, I, I must believe that the Spirit of God was working upon him, even through these days of the terror that he was bringing to the people of God. Uh, and I think it's kind of summed up in that one word, these goads, there was something happening. Uh, I'm only guessing that he saw Jesus. If he did, surely that would qualify to be a goad as he would look on the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God made flesh and, and standing, uh, you know, another man would report that we've seen him, we've gazed upon him. You remember, this is John, 
we've seen his glory. Well, this this was manifested. His, 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 the glory of God contracted to a span in the person of Jesus, standing in the midst of the people uh, and ministering. Um, you know, uh, th th this I know, this, this arrogant Pharisee, uh, he, he, if this was true, what I've just been suggesting, that he actually saw Jesus, he actually heard him, uh, then, then I'm, I'm on solid ground to say this man's soul was blind to the grace of life that stood before him. Uh, I could go on, I could say that he was clearly deaf to the teachings of the Lord Jesus. And those two factors being true leads me to the obvious conclusion, uh, the one and only conclusion, this man's soul was dead to God. He was uh, uh, devoutly Jewish. Uh, he'd had this incredible training. But notwithstanding that, for him to be hostile toward the person of the Lord Jesus, particularly if he's actually seen him and heard him with his ears, then there's only one statement to make. He was dead to God. He was not alive to him. You know, uh, it, it, the, these things being the case, it's, it's incredibly thought-provoking. Uh, because in spite of being so devout, devoutly Jewish and being, being uh, deeply saturated in the Old Testament scriptures, um, in spite of being so diligent as the Pharisees were to, 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 to fulfil every detail of the law and so on, uh, plus all of the rabbinical additives that had come along during the intertestimony period, uh, which is when the Pharisees as a movement actually began to emerge. Uh, but, it, but in spite of that, uh, he was viciously opposed to Jesus and the bride of Jesus. This is Saul. You know, to digress just slightly, uh, I've been in meetings uh, where the Spirit of God was moving and I've seen with my own eyes people in the congregation get up out of their seats and hurry forward. Even while the preaching is going on, they've hurried forward to the front and, and fallen on their knees at the front of the meeting. In other words, the Spirit of God was moving and convicting them. Uh, they were waking up to the reality of the ministry of the Spirit of God and they're, they're compelled to go seeking help and ministry uh, based on their repentance. At the very same time and in the same meetings, I've seen other people leave their seats and scramble to get out, but they've gone in the opposite direction. They've exited through the door at the back and they've gone. Such is the ministry of the Spirit of God and it has a profound effect when it's functioning and there will be those who will embrace the truth. We could turn to some other scriptures to see this confirmed here in the text. Uh, but I think what I'm saying is sufficient just to make this point. Uh, there are those whose hearts are conditioned, are being worked upon by the Spirit of God. And when they hear the truth, they respond to it and grasp hold of it. And there are others who are dead to it, they're hostile to it, 
their hostility is stirred by the very presence of God and the sound of his truth being ministered. And this, this is a, a reality. It may not happen in, in traditional, you know, everyday assemblies and churches that we uh, are familiar with, but I, I, I am convinced in my heart when the Spirit of God is present and when he is prominent uh, and when he's ministering, uh, the word comes like sharper than a two-edged sword and it pierces, it penetrates deep down, even beyond the mind, into the very deepest parts of the inner man. And there will be those who will embrace it and there will be those who will reject it. Such is the reality uh, of life. There was the... Uh, there was the opportunity for that goad to really produce something wonderful in that man but it was being resisted um, because uh, when the word of God comes it's a life-giving word um, you know uh, sometimes we've said about people that we know sometimes that are dear relatives and we say if, if only they could hear what we've been privileged to hear if only they could experience what we've been privileged to see and be part of uh, you know surely they would respond also but you know evidently they wouldn't necessarily um, you know there are those who just are not ready to respond for whatever reasons um, but when when the word of God comes it's a life-giving word um, when that word came, even on a human physical level, when it came to that tomb where Lazarus lay, who'd been dead for four days, the word was, Lazarus, come forth. And the very next statement says, and Lazarus came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes. Such is the miracle power of the word of life, the word of God, the word of the gospel of God. Then, of course, there was the goad of Stephen. I didn't read that passage to you, uh, but it's contained in the 8th chapter of, of the epistle. I read to you the first verse, um, but the fact is, uh, in the previous chapter, we've got the whole story spelled out for us in chapter 7, uh, and I'm not going to pause long to tell the story, uh, but um, this, this, this man was, uh, he was just ablaze with the Spirit of God, a young man. And, uh, you know, he's on trial for his life. You must read the chapter again for yourself. But uh, he, he, he gives, uh, while he's on trial, he gives this incredible overview of the nation of Israel's history. Um, and... Uh, uh, you know, on the one hand, you'd think the people would be impressed listening to him, but uh, we read through all of that and we find so much that's so profitable to ourselves reading through the verses the, through this lengthy chapter. But uh, perhaps it was that this man, Stephen, apart from what he had been saying, was just too much like Jesus for their liking. But then he reaches a point in his talk, 
in what he's saying. And I'd love to read more than I'm going to read, but I'll just break into this in the 50th verse of Acts chapter 7, where he, Stephen says, You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do you. Uh, and then he goes on to say that uh, uh, some various other things, I, I must read it, which the prophets have not your fathers persecuted, and they have slain them which showed uh, before the coming of the just one, of whom you have been now the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the disposition of angels uh, and have not kept it. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. That was their response to it all. Maybe he was too much like Jesus, but when it, when it gets to the point where he comes to the application of his lengthy review of Jewish history, this is too much for them. Um, and... Uh, they gnash on him with their teeth. And then we read in verse 55, But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And there shouldn't be a chapter division, I'm sure. And Saul, consenting unto his death. And at the time there was great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem. And so on. I read that verse to you earlier. The fact of the matter is I'm not sure whether Saul actually saw Jesus. I'm not sure and can't say with confidence that he heard him speaking. Uh, I, I, I can't tell you exactly what was going on in his conscience. Uh, but when I read this section of scripture, uh, I'm left in no doubt at all. This man is seeing uh, this, this wonderful uh, prince-like son of God, this child of God, Stephen. Uh, and he's listened to his presentation, which was indisputable. And he's heard the, 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 the more direct application of these things. And evidently his heart was so hostile to, toward Jesus and all that he stood for. He's filled with hatred. Uh, we're, we're told that really when it says that um, um, he, uh, he, 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 I'm looking down for the wording here, um, that he gave his assent to what was taking place. Apparently the word suggests actually that it was more than that, that he, he, was, he was behind it, a young man, but he was behind this activity. And so we have the record of the text that Stephen was stoned. And uh, 
you know, now we sort of were leapfrogging around a little bit here, but now we come back to that moment where Saul, these things having all been accomplished, he, he's got around him, no doubt, a, a, a group of soldiers to help him carry out his mission as he's on his way now to Damascus. And as he's nearing Damascus, we read uh, in the ninth chapter here uh, how that uh, as he journeyed, he came near to Damascus and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven and he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said unto him, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus. Let's just stop there. I'm Jesus. Uh, you know, let me back up for our own benefit here. You know, when it says, as he journeyed, this is in the third verse of chapter 9, as he's journeying, suddenly... And that word catches my attention. You know, there's a basis for some interesting Bible study there. When, when God moves suddenly, uh, there are significant moments. Um, uh, but God broke into this man's soul's life suddenly. Amen. The bright light shone and so on. I, 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 you know, one man listening to me right now, uh, he, he, he's not shouting out loud because his sound, his, his voice is muted on the computer, but I, I'm sure he just wants to shout glory because he loves to shout glory. God broke into Saul's life. Glory be to God. Uh, the very transcendent presence of God burst in upon his consciousness. Amen. And, uh, oh, how things changed, how things changed from this moment. And he, 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 he says, he asks the, the most obvious question, who, who art thou, Lord? He says, um, and uh, I'm back to where he was giving his testimony uh, to King Agrippa. And uh, he, he speaks of this very, very development, you know, uh, in, in the 13th verse of 26, he he says, at midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. And when we were fallen to the earth, I heard a voice saying unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus. I am Jesus. Yeah. You know, I've paused on this many times over the years. Just this, these words to start with. I am Jesus. Uh, you know, in, in that millisecond of hearing those words, uh, 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 horror, horror must have filled his being. Uh, a horror that he couldn't fully register in his mind. Uh, this was the one that he hated. This was the one uh, that he was opposed. But not only is this Jesus a living reality and is speaking to him, but he goes on with another three words in the old King James. 
whom thou persecutest. And I believe that for this man's soul of Tarsus, on this, moment, on this occasion, as the truth burst in upon his mind like a with laser sharpness, surely, uh, could I say immediately his brain cells would be just overloaded um, as, as he scrambled to sort out this information that he was exposed to. I think I can only, the reason I've worked my way slowly to this point has been to try to encourage us to appreciate the hostility and the hatred toward Christ that, that emanated from him as he brought, he brought ruin, he brought pain, he brought horror into the lives of, young, of Christian believers. He ripped homes apart, he brought heartbreak everywhere and he did it boldly and would say, well, you know, was his conscience work? Well, maybe it was, but his hatred was so much greater that he ignored all those things. And then to be stopped in his tracks in this way by this transcendent brightness and to hear a voice saying, I am Jesus whom you persecute. I don't know that there are words, I can't think of words uh, to describe this. This Jesus was the Messiah. This Jesus was God and is God. Amen. And you know, when he says, whom thou persecutest, you know that meant, don't you? You know, we, we think back to some of the teaching of Jesus when he said, do you remember this? This is, I, I like the wording in the old King James, inasmuch as you've done it unto one of these, the list of my saints, you've done it to me. This is exactly what's going on. Jesus is saying to this man's soul with this reputation of hostility and brutality, he's saying to him, he's saying to him, if I may paraphrase it, um, forgive me if I ought not to do it, but it's as though he's saying, soul, do you realise what you've been done? Every pain that you brought to every one of those precious people, you did it to me. Every stone that was flung at Stephen that you were encouraging every step was as though it was hitting me and striking me and as much as you did it to them you did it to me if Saul of Tarsus could think rationally in that setting and I doubt that he could but if he could he would he would have to recognize that no torment in hell would be sufficient punishment for his behaviour. But listen, I'm looking back at Acts chapter 9. It, it, we've just finished with the fifth verse. It's hard for you to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what, what will you have me to do? Some preachers have made out of this as though he's saying, well, what kind of ministry would you like me to have? That's ridiculous, uh, such a thought. It, 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 surely only, only the most extreme punishment is in his, in, is in his sights at this moment. What, what can I do? He's desperate. Listen to this. And the Lord said unto him, Arise, 
and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. I'm reading now his testimony again from chapter 26. He, he said, I am Jesus whom thou persecuted. Now Paul is giving his own explanation here. He, he said, uh, he heard Jesus say, but rise, but rise and stand upon thy feet for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose to make thee a minister. Beloved, I want to cry as I'm reading this. To make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen and those things in the which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people, from the Gentiles, unto whom I now send thee to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them that are sanctified by faith that is in me. And I can understand verse 19, when he says, Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to that heavenly vision. Do you see this? I'm talking to you about grace. Amazing. Amazing. And this man... This, 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 this fearsome persecutor of the church is transformed beyond recognition. He's blinded. Uh, he's subdued. He's subdued. He's like a wild beast before it's snorting out. He's broken. He's been broken. Not crushed, but broken. And he's led out, led into the town, and he goes to the home of Ananias. And you know what? When he goes into the house of Ananias, uh, he, 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 he enters in, and Ananias has already heard from God. He's told what to accept. And Ananias gets highest marks in my book dear me he doesn't even question anything he knows the reputation of Saul he likely knows that he's on his way to town right now and and this this Ananias this Jesus man is now standing face to face with the blind man Saul of Tarsus this militant activist against the church of Jesus and he says to him and I think he holds his hand out, but Paul wouldn't have seen, Saul wouldn't have seen this. And he said, Brother Saul. Brother Saul. Am I mistaken? Or in that moment, do I, do I hear Saul of Tarsus sobbing? I think I do. Brother Saul. And now, himself, Saul, kneeling at the feet of this follower of Jesus, he meekly receives the gift of the Holy Spirit of God. This man that's 
experience the various goads along the journey in one way and another. He's here. He's kneeling down in front of a Christian believer. Talk about transformation. And I, 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 am, I am totally sure that God doesn't play chess. But at this particular moment, as Ananias puts his hands on Saul's head and the Holy Spirit comes upon him, it's as though I hear God say, checkmate. He'd got the man that he had chosen before the foundation of the world and he'd got him now in the place where he needed to come. And he's there. God had brought his chosen man to this place of absolute and unreserved surrender to God. Amen. Amen. Thinking of this man, Saul, of course we, we know that shortly after that we find that there's a name change involved and we won't think about that just now. But uh, as he moved out in his ministry, we know this, he would not be merely uh, a man with an academic understanding of the doctrine of grace uh, except that in, in truth he was the product of the grace of God in a very particular way. We can say well every child of God is, yes certainly, but this, this was a very, a, a very notable event in the life of the early church. Uh, you could say, if we're allowed to make this kind of classification, I'm not sure we are, but uh, you could say perhaps it was the, the, the first of two of the most notable conversions in the early church. Saul of Tarsus and Cornelius would be the other one. But we won't talk about that. But the fact of the matter is, only those men and women who have experienced the life-transforming grace of God are truly qualified to preach and teach the doctrine of the grace of God. Amen. This man, this man would, would, would later uh, say things like this, writing to the Galatian church. Uh, he, he, would, he would write in his letter um, you know, that he profited above the Jews' religion, above many of his equals in his own nation, uh, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his Son in me, that I might preach him, among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. And that's Galatians chapter 1, 15 and 16. And uh, glory to God. This man, he had and was continuing to experience the grace of God. You know, it's also true that Saul of Tarsus never met Charles Wesley. Um, and he didn't know the kind of things that Charles Wesley would write. Um, but, but perhaps I can add in parenthesis, but when Charles Wesley wrote what he wrote, he was actually building so much of what he was saying on what 
Saul of Tarsus, now Paul the Apostle, actually taught. Uh, but I'm thinking of Charles Wesley's words and one of his one of his um, hymns that he wrote that that if if Saul of Tarsus knew them, I can see him in my mind's eye somewhere in the corner in Ananias's home, having received the gift of the Holy Spirit and the forgiveness and blessing and healing uh, that he received on that occasion. Uh, I, I, I think I. I think I would hear him singing these words one way or another. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Saviour's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain, for me who him to death pursued? Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Amen. My friends, you know, you may know a lot about the doctrine of grace and you may have studied it and be very familiar with its words in scripture. But I want to ask you as I close, are you, are you currently experiencing its pardoning and its cleansing embrace? Here's, here's the fact, and I close really with this. No matter what your past includes, no matter what your circumstances are, even now. It doesn't matter how bad you've been. Uh, it doesn't matter how late you're coming. Uh, very likely there have been many goads along the way, whether you recognise them or not is beside the point right now. But let me tell you that I believe that God has been working to get your attention, notwithstanding whatever your life has been about or is about at this present time. I know this, that as his heart is toward you, to gain you, uh, he will go to any length to bring you to that place of, of, of surrender, of submission to openness to him. He, to bring you to that place where his love breaks through into your life. Could it be that right now as you're listening to me, could it be that the Spirit of God is working right now and speaking into your heart? Amen. Wouldn't it be wonderful if right now in this moment, as your heart is subdued before him, and now witnessing this, this incredible uh, narrative, is, which it is, uh, of a man so much in opposition to Christ, in the extreme, has been chosen by God for this most unique ministry in the Church of Jesus Christ, a ministry which is still operating now 2,000 years on. We're still reading his words and the Holy Spirit's still quickening them to us. Be wonderful that if just now you've come to that place of being subdued before him, you've given up the fight, stopped resisting, utterly yielded to him. Checkmate. Charles Wesley wrote this. Ah, why did I so late thee know? Thee lovelier than the sons of men. Ah, why did I no sooner go to thee 
the only ease in pain. Ashamed I sigh and inly mourn that I so late to thee didst turn. In darkness willingly I strayed, I sought thee, yet from thee I roved. For wide my wandering thoughts were spread, thy creatures more than thee I loved. And now if more at length I see, tis through thy light and comes from thee. I thank thee, uncreated sun, that thy bright beams on me have shined. I thank thee who hast overthrown my foes and healed my wounded mind. I thank thee whose enlivening voice bids my freed heart in thee rejoice. Let me pray. Father, you know every single individual who is listening to this message right now and who will listen to it presently. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that your Holy Spirit will have great success in many lives, Lord. Many who have been listening to the lies of the devil about themselves and about the Christian truth. Lord, have success and bring men and women to this place of complete and absolute surrender to you, Lord. And we pray, Father, that you will begin a, 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 a transformational work in these lives, Lord, that renders them entirely new creatures in Christ. Turn the page of their lives, Lord. Turn the chapter. Change the book, Lord. Make a new beginning in a reality in their lives, I pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Just before you go, you know, some of you are listening to this on our YouTube channel, which is called Turn to the Scriptures with Fred Tomlinson. If that's true, and if you're responding to what you've heard, if you sense that God has ministered to you, at least press the subscribe button so that you're involved with me in the days ahead, Lord willing, and you'll be notified when there are the messages. And maybe you'll leave a comment, and um, I pray that God will bless you richly. Uh, do visit the website as well, which is mackenziefellowship.com. You can listen to this message on podcasts as well, if that's more your cup of tea. So I'll leave you with this, and I pray that God will richly bless each and every one of you. Amen. <laughs>